we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Howdy and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Willow Truman. I'm Sequoia Kennedy, and you've been getting way too comfortable with the word howdy. I just like it as a greeting. That's fine. Howdy. That's a good one. Howdy, y'all. No. I did spend the first two years of my life in Georgia, so do I get a y'all pass? Can I say y'all? I mean, dude, people around here say y'all. It's true. Like, yeah, dude, dude. What, People like, around here think they're from the South. I'm in Connecticut, by the way. Where we are is a little slice of the deep South. It's, it's, it's odd. It's really like there's it's a different <laughs> accent. It's uh, it's like the New England accent with a little twang. Yeah. They say y'all unironically. So I do, too, because mm-hmm. I just fucking grew up with it. We had a bring your tractor to school day at my high school. I mean, dude, also. Oh, I mean, the biggest event that ever happened in my town is the tractor pull. Oh, the, yeah. The old home. Days. Oh, yeah. Um, we also had the, uh, I believe it was the last and possibly largest, um, legal gathering of the Ku Klux Klan. Holy shit. Ah. Well, that's relevant to today's episode. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah. Which is like, this is a different flavor of episode than we've done in a while. We've, I'm like- Talking about a hero? Yeah. 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 Usually not the case. Uh, We've yeah. had a lot of like fallen heroes who start off like seeming good and then sort of drop off like John Murray Spear. Or, yeah. Or anti-heroes. Yeah. A lot of anti-heroes. John McAfee. Mm-hmm. But today we're talking about someone who has actually made a large positive imprint. This is actually something I was thinking about yesterday researching my next uh, episode, uh, researching a unequivocally a role model. Yeah. 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 Like Harry Tubman. Role model. Totally. It's another one. It's just we went right to like, we need some real just good in our lives after the stretch. Oh, yeah. After the <laughs> things we've been looking into, I just need, I need someone who, who inspires me. Exactly. You know, not someone who, who makes me cringe. Yeah. Yeah. I need some yeah. inspiration. I, yeah. I, I think need we all a hero. do. Holy God damn it. I'm holding out for a hero. Ha. <sighs> I was going to put that in a drop for my next episode. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, yeah. I have I have like song psychic powers with you. You really do. Where I, I always predict the songs <laughs> that you're going to use. Really, I don't know how I do it's it. really funny. Yeah, that's my psychic power. Yeah. Which, by the way, like, so my knowledge on Harriet Tubman before this episode, pretty limited. Bare bones. Quite honest. Yeah. yeah. I knew like. She was a former slave who helped rescue other enslaved people, and she was led by the North Star and the Underground Railroad, and everybody loves her. And, like, that's that's about where my knowledge of her ended. She dug the first subway system. Really? Yeah, the Underground Railroad. It wasn't actually underground. It wasn't? No. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I pictured when I was a kid, though. Yeah. It was like... <laughs> yeah, I mean... That's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like an underground you railroad. Know? Yeah. So also when I was in, I won't sing the song, but God damn it, I know every word. In elementary school, they had our class of about 30 white kids all sing this song <laughs> that is from the point of view of a fugitive slave about being rescued by Harriet Tubman. 
<laughs> and, I mean, they, they, I'm pretty sure they had us sing that fucking song too. It's like, it's like, it's a pretty catchy song, but I just, it's so funny that yeah. they had us all sing that. And you know, I still know all the words, and and I've been singing it all week, and I won't do it right now. I won't. So there is a lot that I didn't know about Harry Tubman. The song doesn't go over it. Yeah, history class didn't go over it. Like, did you know that she was so good? at espionage and wearing disguises that the yeah. CIA recently erected a statue in her honor calling her the model spy. Holy shit. Like I didn't know that she was known for being a spy too. Like I mean it makes sense. Espionage doing shit in the shadows, dude. Yeah. Tight as hell. I also had no idea how much of a role the divine played in her story. I mean Me like Harriet the spy, that makes sense. Cuz that was Yeah. You know, she has to operate in secrecy. But what about also Harriet the spy? Harriet the psychic spy. Fuck yeah! Oh, right, I love a good psychic spy. And this is a callback to our yeah series. On fucking, I love a good psychic spy. Hell yeah! Like, who the fuck knew? Well, you know who knew? Who knew? This author Eric Wargo. Okay. He happens to be my primary source for this episode. He has an article in Edge Science titled Harriet Tubman. Precog. This article okay. blew my fucking mind. Okay. So I decided, like, I need to make an episode about Harriet Tubman and, and share this information on the Nonsense Bazaar. Fuck yeah, you do. Because, like, it just, it rounds out her character more. Because, you know, to just be this this hero that did all these great things, it, it flattens her in a way. Right, yeah. There's, I mean, there's, I think, one of the great failings of the fucking public education system, especially when it comes to history, is, like, turning humans into cartoon characters yeah yeah and that's uh it's not the real story right it's not actually what happened so if you're interested in things like precognitive dreaming i also recommend this guy eric wargo whose article i'm working off of he's got a book called time loops and precognitive dream work and the long self that mm. i recommend to anyone interested in these topics so before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's yeah. stop and pull our tarot card for this you might have forgotten. episode. I know. I put it in the script put so it in that the script. I don't yeah. forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I might. Seven of Wands. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Seven of one Wands, also known as Valor. Yeah. It's, uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Seven of Wands, like, as a, I don't know, it's like one of those, like, fun concepts for me to describe, I guess. There's a lot of power yeah like so from this card it's, so, it's very powerful so think of like um in the thoth deck it showed the image is like looks like a broken spine mm -hmm. and like so seven is the sphere of netzach the sphere of beauty mm -hmm. essentially or beauty art love is there a reason why i associate seven with venus yes yeah that's why uh seven sphere uh, netzach is ruled by venus oh or i did not even consciously know that yeah but i subconsciously knew that yeah, uh, I believe the name of that sphere is Victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Hode is Splendor. Um, or also, Glory, I think, is a word associated with, with Netzach. Anyway, like, the Seven of Wands depicts a dude, like, standing at the top of a hill, and there's all these six staffs pointed up at him, and he's got a staff, and he's fighting. He's on his last legs. Yeah. Like, he's going down with a fight. 
Oh, yeah. His, That's his, the seven of wands. Right. It's the beauty in the fucking dude who goes down fighting. Yeah. It's that, yeah. That's a valor. Interesting. Very interesting. I love it. I've just closed my eyes again. Climbed aboard the dream weaver train. Trying to take away my worries of today. That is a good song. Shit. Yeah, I did. Like when I would think of that song in my mind, I imagined it. I always think of it way differently than it actually sounds. Mm. The synths in that are like cool. Yeah, and they got that um, the 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 organ with like the Leslie speaker, yeah, rotating speaker. Yeah, Harriet was a fucking dreamweaver though. Like literally though. Word. And she was leading people through the night. I mean, it's it's incredibly appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of biographers have downplayed the supernatural aspects of Harriet's life because, you know, they think for some reason it's going to help maintain their integrity and hers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, You know, like if they bring it up, then it's sort of taking away from the the archetypal Harriet Tubman that we all know, like the, the hero archetype. And they, they don't know how to synthesize her having these supernatural experiences and visions with all of these tangible real life things that she's done. Yeah. I mean, it, maybe if people stopped pulling that shit, we'd be better off as a species. We'd understand a lot more of the confusing things that we all experience. Right. You know? So before we get super into Harriet's story, I wanted to talk about some other like notable prophetic dreams. Okay. Because this is a thing. It's a thing. This is a really common thing. Uh, a lot of important contributions in both art and science might not have even happened if it wasn't for people having these precognitive dreaming experiences. Okay. Like the father of quantum mechanics, Niels Bohr. Niels Bohr. One night he went to sleep and he saw the nucleus of the atom and the electrons spinning around it, sort of like planets spinning around a sun. And when he woke up, he, he just knew that what mm. he had seen was accurate and worked to prove what he had seen. Yeah. Which was accurate. Yeah. He dreamed that shit. Yeah. Or Einstein, the theory of relativity. He had some dream about like cows or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he had a cow dreamed. Yeah. Theory of relativity. Uh, about a cow dream. The guy who discovered that insulin could be used to help diabetes got the idea from a dream about a diabetic dog. 
Hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay. There's also this guy, Srinivasa Ramanujan. He was a self-taught mathematical genius who made substantial contributions to the analytical theory of numbers. Ooh. He he proved more than uh, 3,000 mathematical mathematical theorems in his lifetime. Damn. And um, you know where he got them from? In his dreams, while contacting the Hindu goddess Namagiri while dreaming, the goddess of creativity. Interesting. Uh, yeah. He was very into like dream interpretation and astrology. Word. And um, he he understood math and spirituality, like religion. He was Hindu. He believed these things to be synthesized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like he thought that zero represented absolute reality and infinity represented the manifestations within that reality. All of the different things that could happen within the universe. Yeah. Uh, there's one quote from him. An equation for me has no meaning unless it expresses a thought of God. So there's there's so many people that have been like divinely led or prophetically led into important discoveries in the scientific, mathematical, yeah. other fields. Yeah. It's almost like it's not as stupid as everyone assumes. It's not stupid at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy thing. Yeah. I've heard that quote before and uh, I've always liked it. It's a good quote. I mean, some would argue that like these people having these dreams about like math and science and stuff. Well, their brain is just putting things together. Right. You know. But isn't it interesting that they can reach those conclusions in the dream state rather than in the waking state? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, is it um, is it Da Vinci's thing? I think Einstein might have done this too. I think a lot of the, yeah, I think Leonardo da Vinci came up with it, like a, a method to use um, the hypnagogic state to figure problems out. Yeah. And so what he would do is go to like take a nap with two uh, heavy steel balls in his hand. Mm -hmm. And so that like, because you know, when you're in the hypnagogic state, you have a great idea and you're like, oh, this is, this is the best idea of my life. I'll right. write it down in the morning. Yeah. And then you forget. So he'd go to sleep with these two steel balls. And when he went into full sleep, they'd fall out of his hand, and wake him up. Right. Yeah. And they'd write down the thing he was thinking about. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, so now that we're all in agreement that that dreams can have real impact on real life love the and fact help people reach important conclusions. I love the fact that the audience, uh, I can't hear the audience. Yeah. We're all in agreement. <laughs> now that you and I are in agreement. That's all of us. Harriet Tubman. Did you know that that's not her birth name? I did not. She was born Araminta Ross, also known as Minty. Minty Ross is such a better name than Harriet Tubman. Yeah. It's really the Tubman part that needs to go. Mm -hmm. That was her husband's name that she ended up taking. Minty yeah. Ross was born somewhere around early 1822. See, it's hard to know because didn't keep records. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, to father Ben Ross and mother Harriet Ritt Green. Ritt. Yeah, she got a little nickname too. Nice. So as a baby, her whole family was enslaved by this guy, Anthony Thompson. He fucking sounds like it. <laughs> he was a prominent local landowner on Maryland's eastern shore. And they were all enslaved by that guy until yeah. she was like one or two. And then her, her siblings and mother were all separated from her father and taken to Anthony Thompson's stepson's property. Oh, good. So that's like, you know, there's another major trauma. Yeah. You know, that sucks for everybody. Damn. So it's funny. Like, 
sometimes spoiled kids get, you know, like a car from their parents. Yeah, or their sure. Parents like buy them a house. This kid, he he gets his very own plantation and and some slaves, you know, family slaves. Here, God, son. that must have just been. That's that oh, was just how God. it was. Yeah. Like I've been really meditating on that this week. How fucking normal this way of life was. Yeah. And how horrifying that is. Yeah. Like just exchanging humans like yeah. goods and services you know like he, imagine inheriting a fucking person that that's unthinkable oh yeah it's abhorrent it's fucking it's it's it's, it's just but that was just that was just normal <sighs> so his stepson uh his name's edward brodus <laughs> yep and you know obviously goes without saying they're all pieces of shit probably but something especially extra shitty that Edward Brodus did was separate Minty from her mother and siblings. So she's already mm. been detached from her father. Yeah. Now she's getting detached from her family and she's basically getting like hired out to other white people in the area, which was like a common practice, sort of like like renting your slave out to another family to have for the day. Um, I mean, it's, this, it's the same thing people do with like heavy machinery. Yeah. Have, like. It's so fucked up. So how angry am I going to get from here on out? Very. I mean, it's infuriating. Okay, just prepare. Because it's like you know, you only have so many slaves. If one comes down with a fever, you can sort of just like hire your neighbor's slave. For right, the day. right, right. And so it was during these separations that there were two defining traumatic events that took place okay. in Minty's life. At age seven or eight, Minty was sent to work for a Miss Susan who needed her help with her newborn baby. Okay. Miss Susan was so cruel and so awful that even the other slave masters were like, whoa, Jesus Susan, <laughs> Susan, you got to cool it down. You're yeah. doing too much. Yeah. Minty was uh, brutally whipped on the first day for not knowing how to dust furniture. I don't know how to dust furniture. No, me. I don't think I've ever really. No. I mean, I've, I've dusted a table or two, but. You know, yeah, like, but you know it's bad when the other slave masters think that you're being too cruel. Yeah. Like, just how like, fucking bad are you? Even Susan's sister, who was visiting one time, had to be like, hey. Chill the fuck out. Yeah. Like, Jesus I can't, Christ. I can't sit by and watch this. It, it was interesting that you brought up hypnagogic states because Minty had to stay up all night with this newborn baby that was crying all the time. Yeah. And if she stopped rocking the baby or fell asleep she would get whipped or smacked so yeah, she yeah. was like sort of trained to stay awake through the night even though she needed sleep like she didn't she was not getting enough sleep yeah that's definitely a way to make someone first of all be trained how to disassociate sure yeah how to go into these out of body states and like also when you are sleep deprived and I'm sure you've been sleep deprived before you pulled an all nighter or two in your life yeah Most sometimes you can't sleep you start night. seeing and experiencing weird shit. Yeah. You know, it sort of like opens up this channel of the dream world and it starts to sink into real life. So from a young age, like eight years old, she's being trained to know how to push through those states. Yeah. To maintain a wakeful state despite falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. So that's of note. Useful skill for a spy. Incredibly. <laughs> like tragic, but useful. Yeah. Another incident, Minty was hired as a young teenager to break flax for a dude known as 
the worst man in the neighborhood. Oh, great. Again, she's just like, she keeps getting sent to the worst people, like Miss Susan. Yeah. Like the one that the other slave masters look down on. And now the worst man in the neighborhood. Wow. So she's on an errand to the dry goods store, <laughs> which is also interesting to think. Life was so different. It back sure then. was. <laughs> Yet, a lot of it also similar. So she's at, at the dry goods store. What do they sell there? Like flour, sugar, yeah, grain, coffee, maybe yeah. Yeah, grains. There's this fugitive slave who was fleeing from a nearby farm who had run into the store to take refuge. And the overseer from that farm like comes in and he's like, you girl, help me restrain him. Help, yeah. You know, and she's like, I don't want anything to do with this. So this overseer decides, well, fine. I'm, he just picks up this two pound scale, this weight, and just mm. throws it at the fugitive, like trying to stop him. Yeah. And but instead it hits Minty in the head and Jeez. it cracks her skull open. What the fuck? And um, of course, she doesn't re- get to receive any medical care after this. Right. She's sort of just she, she gets to stay in bed for a day. And then she's made to return back to work. But she's trying to work. She's fainting. She's falling all over. There's like blood in her eyeballs. It's bad. It's very bad. It's comically fucked up. Yeah. Like she's she's worthless. She can't do anything. So the worst man in the neighborhood decides to just return her to Edward Brodus and is like, listen, I I can't work with her. Jesus. And after that, Brodus is unable to rent her out to people afterwards due to the injury. So, I mean, I guess at least she can be near her family now. (laughs) It's hard finding any silver lining. You keep wanting to. uh, Yeah. What the fuck? God damn it. So following that event with the two pound weight to her skull, Minty experiences frequent headaches and she would also occasionally fall into a deep sleep at like a, a deep but a light sleep, if you know what I mean. With one eye open. Right. Yeah. Like it wasn't a, a restful sleep. Yeah, yeah. Biographer Kate Clifford Larson uh, interpreted her narcoleptic episodes and, you know, the religiosity, the visions, the yeah, the states of being unable to move. I mean, where have we heard this before? The temporal lobe epilepsy. I mean, you hear as, it a lot. Yeah, yeah. as sort of this... Um, catch-all explanation for people that have these visions sure and it very well might be true there's good reason to believe that it's true yeah there is. but does it discount the fact that what was seen in these visions could have been precognitive or no, could have predicted things in the future of course not right like if the temporal lobe is the thing that allows that to happen and then something happens that just makes it fire i mean right? temporal temporal relates to time, time yeah right yeah so something skewing your sense of time, temporal lobe epilepsy. I wonder. Isn't it crazy to think that you could see into the future in these that, temporal episodes? Is that why it's named the temporal lobe? Because it processes time? Do we know that? I don't know. Hmm. We're just going to acknowledge that we don't know for sure if that's, that's the case. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's like that is perhaps the mechanism, right? But that's not the reason. Right. A lot of times they treat the the mechanism as the reason. Yeah. 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 Like, I don't think that the medical diagnosis doesn't just explain away everything that happened. Right. Like there's there's so many more questions. Well, because it's it's also like, of course, there's a mechanism. No one said there there has to be a mechanism. If you're experiencing right? it with your human body, then yeah. it's reflected within the body. Yeah. 
You could assign it whatever name you want. Like shit. To, I don't know if you're saying that shit just happens for no reason or whatever. I don't know. Well, who knows? Sometimes I think so. So how did Minty Ross turn into Harriet Tubman? Yeah. Okay. The change took place in 1844 at age 22 when Minty Ross married a free black man named John Tubman. And then she took the name after her mother, Harriet. So they'd kind of always be together in that way. Word. Okay. Which makes sense to me. It's funny that you said the change, like the the apotheosis. (laughs) So this is like the evolution of Minty into Harriet. Like Harry Houdini. I could think of a bunch more, but that's the only one I can think of. Like people change their names when they have sort of these magical transformations, when they become these historical figures. Like a lot of people Mm. do have these name changes at an important time in their life. I've noticed. That's Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So although she was married to a free man, Harriet remains enslaved until 1849. Oof. So that's another five years. And you know, Edward. That's fucking rough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Edward Brodus, the plantation. Oh, yeah. So there's news spreading around the plantation that he's planning to sell Harriet and her siblings down farther south. Hmm. Where it's obviously even harder to flee to freedom because it's a longer journey. They're in Maryland. And, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, conditions down there are worse, which imagine that. Right. Like, so she, Harriet begins praying for his death. Yeah. Hell yeah. Up until then, she had always prayed for him to repent and realize his wicked ways. But mm. now she didn't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let him rot. Yeah, Let him yeah, die. Yeah. Uh, here's a quote from Harriet. First of March, I began to pray. Oh, Lord. If you aren't ever going to change that man's heart, kill him, Lord, and take him out of the way. Fuck yeah. Fuck uh, yeah. First of March, she begins to pray, right? Yeah. He died March 9th. (laughs) (laughs) Divine retribution, son. Yeah. What the fuck is good? Instant karma. (laughs) That's sick. So, yeah. That year, Harriet's also having these dreams of horsemen and the terrified screams of women and children. She starts talking about escaping. Mm. For some reason, her husband, John, is not on board with that choice. But too fucking bad for John. Yeah. She learns that two of her sisters had been sold away on a chain gang, Mm. which is basically the start of how our legal slavery in the prison system Mm. began. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, how we just have legal slavery today. Uh. So with the risk that she might be sold next, Harriet threw caution to the wind and decided that she's going to get the fuck out of there. And soon. Hell yeah. Autumn of that year. Fuck yeah. So a lot of this information within Eric Wargo's article comes to us through way of Sarah H. Bradford, who was one of Harriet Tubman's earliest biographers. They knew each other personally. Oh, okay. Word. So at first, Harriet meant to bring along her two brothers but for whatever reason, they changed their minds mm. and uh, they wouldn't continue any farther. So she decides, all right, I'm going to try again. Makes the second trip yeah. just by herself, which, by the way, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, uh, that's insane. Like, she traveled 90 miles by herself. And of course, you know, by the late 18th- 18- In enemy territory. Yeah. 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 The Underground Railroad was a functioning secret network made up of uh, free blacks, slaves, Quakers, Mm, yeah, other anti-slavery whites, and also a lot of white people that were 
pretty indifferent to the whole thing, but they could get a, a paycheck for yeah mercenaries. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. they were doing it, too. So, yeah. Following the North Star, Harriet makes it to Philadelphia. She describes it like being reborn. Do you want to read that quote? I looked in my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such glory over everything. The sun came like gold through the trees over the fields, and I felt like I was in heaven. In Philadelphia, no less. Yeah. That fucking bad you gotta be. Philadelphia seems like heaven. Right? Well, I guess, you know, the Philadelphia was kind of a yeah. city representing freedom at that time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I was really thinking this week, too, how crazy it is that there was the Underground Railroad. Like, just this network of people willing to temporarily house, shelter, and take care of individuals who had nowhere else to go. Because imagine you're running away from the plantation. You don't know how to read or write. You don't know anybody. You're wanted. Yeah. Like, they, they're looking to fucking kill you, snatch you, take you back, torture you if yeah. they get you. So you're really, like, risking it to go. Yeah. And these I don't know. I just think that it's so cool. Yeah, no, that so many people were willing to participate. Who weren't in down helping. with the bullshit? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's very cool. And, and for like, nothing in return. And it's possible because it wasn't a technological surveillance state. Although that's a true. lot of I, I I do feel like a lot of shit still happens in secret. We yeah, kind of I would hope so. I was wondering. I, I hope so. I was yeah. like, do is there still a network like that today that like helps migrants or helps people that that need it? Help sure. people like escaping domestic abuse. Like you can just, you know, I mean, low key, yeah, like, come stay with me. I'll take care of you until we can, you know. It definitely is that. I don't think it's that low key. Yeah. It's widespread enough or well known. Right. I think that just the the display of direct aid is very inspiring to me. For sure. Yeah. Not no not no Twitter mutual aid where it's all bots scamming each other. Right. <laughs> so after getting to Philadelphia. What do you think she does? She turns around and she goes right back to get more people. Shit. And just keeps doing that for the next 10 years. She made multiple trips back to the eastern shore of Maryland, back yeah. to back to the exact farm that she had escaped from. Oh, wow. Which is like so cool. Like, I mean, it's not so cool, but like imagining having to go back to the place. Yeah. And evade detection there was one time where her right. it's, it's, former master was walking by and she was scared of being seen and recognized yeah so she like causes this commotion with the chicken so that they're flying all around and he can't see her Fuck with the yeah. chickens all around her i mean the, yeah it's, it's like that I mean, that's even more dangerous than it's just so going to brave. some random fucking oh because like, if she's oh, caught you know they're fucking killing oh, her oh yeah dude you know yeah slowly and brutally yeah yep yeah they're gonna make it a an example. Lesson out of her. Yeah, exactly. No, that's fucking hardcore. It's incredibly brave. So uh, Sarah Bradford, the biographer, her count was originally like 300 slaves and 19 journeys. But yeah. later biographer Kate Larson, who did more research, points to a more accurate figure of probably about 70. Still which a is lot still, of fucking people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what are some tricks yeah. that she used to evade detection? Well, like I mentioned earlier, she was a master of disguise and she could, in fact, hide in plain sight. She often pretended to be like an, an old or just confused woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> Yeah, as Eric Wargo writes, she cloaked herself within the prejudices of her own enemies who never imagined a black woman going about her daily business could pose a threat. 
<laughs> which is brilliant. It is. You know? Yeah, dude. Like use their perception of you to your advantage. Yeah. No, it's, it's, that is, that's fucking brilliant. They expect to see an old black woman. They can just sneer at or fucking right. not think about. Yeah. They're used or, to not thinking about women like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or who couldn't possibly be there because she's spying on you and right. secretly eavesdropping There's on every no single word you're saying. There's no You way. know? Yeah. She's, you don't even, they, they probably don't even consider her a person. So how could they consider that she has like a dialogue going on in her head? Yeah. So it's, it's brilliant. Let alone outsmart them. Yeah. Which she did many times. Sick. So a decade later, uh, 1859, she's helping anti-slavery activists in New York stage the rescue of a fugitive slave from U.S. Marshals. Mm. She infiltrates the U.S. commissioner's office where this slave's fate, Charles Nally, is being discussed in the U.S. commissioner's office. Mm. And Harriet just sits her little self on a chair. She's five feet tall. <laughs> She's tiny. She's wearing a bonnet. Nobody's paying her any mind. Yeah. She just has her paper out. She's reading it. Whatever. She just sits there unnoticed until it's time for Charles Nally to be moved to a more secure location. And then, unsuspecting little old lady, she signals to the mob outside that it's time to attack. (laughs) To pry Charles Nally from the grip of authorities and bring him to a ferry that's waiting on a nearby waterfront to bring him to safety. Holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Another disguise of hers was dressing as a man. Yeah. Because she was, after all, known to the people as Moses. Mm. And just by her reputation alone, most people assumed her to be male, which worked in her favor because everyone's looking for Moses. You know, this guy that's yeah. slaves to freedom and, sure. you know, but no, it's, it's just Harriet. So this works to her advantage, too. There was another time she and a large party had to cross the Delaware Bridge. There are some Irish laborers working on the bridge. She takes a little bit of a different approach. She's not going with the old confused lady. Yeah. She's not going with the man. She got a little flirty. Mm. And this is a side of Harriet I don't ever, I've no. never thought about. Is like the the flirty Harriet that has a sex drive. It's odd how we like desexualize. Our heroes. Yeah. 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 Cartoon characters. Right. So she starts talking to these Irish dudes and- What's the state of like Irish people in the United States at this time? Are they? I mean, they have like they're white people, but everyone hates them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering. The lowest of the white people, probably. Yeah. Depending on the place. Yeah. So she's talking to these Irish dudes about how. I'm not sure about the South. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's Delaware. I don't know about. I I barely even know that Delaware exists. Yeah. I forget about it. It's next to Maryland. It's if you so can believe small. that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's it's because it's slightly bigger than Rhode Island, it's actually smaller than Rhode right. Island. Right. No shade you know? to Delaware. It's just like I forget about you guys. Just All the like time. Everyone forgets about Connecticut too. Yeah. So she's talking to these Irish dudes about how she's looking for a white man to marry. She's flirting it up. She's distracting them just long enough for her party to go by unnoticed. And, <laughs> yeah. Then off they go. I mean, dude, it's just fucking. Yes. <laughs> She's doing all the things James Bond does. <laughs> Literally. 
So another big moment of Harriet Tubman's anti-slavery career took place in June of 1863 when Harriet helped Union Colonel James Montgomery, who was a former compatriot of John Brown. Mm. We'll talk more about him later. He's important. Also a fucking hard ass. Yeah. 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 <laughs> tragic, interesting life. Yeah. He he could make an episode. I was wondering mm-hmm. if there was a, like a TV show or movie made about him because I was reading about well, him this week. Be. There is. There's a TV show that was. Uh, who's the guy? Ewan McGregor, I think, okay. plays him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what a character. Yeah. But yeah, Harriet was helping Union Colonel James Montgomery to lead soldiers up the Kumbahi River in South Carolina. Mm. They were setting plantations and storehouses on fire. Yes. They liberated more than 700 slaves. <laughs> so, like, even though the count oh, of- Oh, in 1863, of her, so this is like in the shit of it. In the shit. Yeah, yeah. In the fucking shit. <laughs> like, she was literally leading Civil War troops. <laughs> It's badass. It's fucking badass, dude. Yeah. Just setting shit on fire. Yes. That's, that's the way to do it, man. Fucking burn that motherfucker down. I mean, that's deep into the Civil War. That was yeah. Whoo. Right. So that's why like that 70 figure count for the people that, you know. Yeah. Like really. Right. Accurate figure for the amount of people that she helped is way higher. Right, right. Yeah. So more information about Harriet Tubman comes to us from Franklin Sanborn, who is a Boston school teacher and journalist, first met Harriet in 1858, through a network of abolitionists secretly funding John Brown's planned raid. You know? Mm, yeah. <clears throat> he also uh, stayed with Frederick Douglass for a time. John Brown did. Mm. So there was like a lot going on behind the scenes yeah. to help him. Yeah, it was this, this whole conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking sick. So Harriet ends up trusting Franklin Sanborn to write some of her story in a newspaper that he edited called the Boston Commonwealth. Okay. And in his writing, she's described as the most shrewd and practical person in the world, yet she is a firm believer in omens, dreams, and warnings. And I personally take umbrage with that yet. (laughs) Yeah. Because one can... Be shrewd and practical, and also recognize their dreams as having importance. Yeah, nothing ever changes, man. It's true. Yeah. It's, you know, like many others, Franklin Sanborn had difficulty reconciling Harriet's paramilitary <laughs> skills with her paranormal skills. As we've seen, yeah. those two things are intimately connected. <laughs> yeah. They're actually... It's really great to have both of them. Yeah, I kind of I feel like they only come in both. Yeah. So, um, yeah, whenever Sanborn wrote about her omens, dreams and warnings, he kind of made sure to make a disclaimer to readers that like, eh, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. It's hard to believe. I doubt it, too. OK, like he, he kind of felt the need to make a disclaimer, but at least he included them. I mean, some biographers just scrapped it out entirely. Right. Some do not even mention it. It's, Boston certainly doesn't change. fucking boston fucking boston boston he's just a guy from boston he doesn't he doesn't know nothing about those bad dreams no omens whatever what have you's (sighs) spent two months in boston went fucking crazy all right (laughs) remember sarah bradford yeah the first biographer of harriet yeah she too was very quick to signal to readers that she had doubts Mm. like 
Sarah made sure to only include stories that could be verified by others or that had witnesses. So, like, you know, they were worried about discrediting Harriet, but also they were worried about discrediting themselves. Sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, So now that we know more about who this information about her visions is being filtered through, which are these sort of skeptical-ish people, let's talk about them. Let's talk about the omens and dreams. Hell yeah. I don't know what song to put. I got something. Okay. I I thought you might. drop a little 23rd psalm in there funny (laughs) so before ever escaping from edward brodus's plantation harriet used to dream of flying over fields and towns rivers and mountains looking down at them like a bird and at last reaching either a great fence or a river and then she would start to fly over the river and then lose strength Mm. start sort of sinking down and then a bunch of women dressed in white would put out their arms and just appear mm. the sides of the river and lift their arms up. And that would help her to pull across, like, energetically. Yeah. So nothing too odd about that dream. It's a dream, right? Yeah. Except Harriet said that when she came north, she remembered the places that she saw in those out-of-body dreams where she was mm. floating over the land. Yeah, yeah. And even more curiously... She remembered the faces of the women who helped her cross the river. She ended up meeting many of them along her journey. No shit. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know how true it is. They say you can't dream of faces that you uh, haven't seen. I don't know. Well, if that is true, it means our dreams are all fucked up from people's back then because we see a lot more faces every day. Yeah. So it'd be a lot more likely for us to dream of a face that we think we've never seen, but then see someone who looks like it later right. on. Right be a lot less likely we see a lot then. of faces we see a lot more faces during the mid-1850s when harriet was going on a bunch of dangerous missions uh there was a reward being offered for her capture oh yeah you know she was definitely a wanted woman yeah and several times she came extremely close to being taken or found yeah and was only able to escape thanks to what she called a fluttering in her heart oh shit 
that were warnings from heaven. Hmm. She said that she inherited this power from her father, who could always predict the weather and even foretold the Mexican War. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the point in the episode. We were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. Yeah. This idea that people who have been through trauma tend to be more intuitive and hyper vigilant about their surroundings. Yeah. So to me, it requires no stretch of the imagination to think that Harriet and her family members could possess what some would refer to as extrasensory perception. I found like actual studies on the cross section between PTSD and intuition. No shit. And uh, yeah, I'll be damned if Harriet's childhood didn't mold her to be on the lookout for potential harm at all times. Yeah. Her ability to sense danger was off the charts. Yeah. Conscious or unconscious. And, you know, while I... uh to attribute a lot of psychic stuff to shit that we can't quite explain yet or uh more woo-woo non-causal things. Mm-hmm. Um I think a lot of a lot of that is like can can be described as not explained. Use the word right. described rather than explained for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And that's I'm not talking to you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh as like always just having the subconscious processing mm-hmm. jacked up. Right. Like interpreting all this stuff just on the lower levels, all the signals you're getting. Yeah. Subconscious sounds, whatever. Like, I'm sure there was times where she was traversing through the wilderness and maybe she didn't even consciously register it, but she might have, like, in some part of her brain noticed footprints that didn't come from her group. Exactly. Exactly. Or like uh, maybe like a, a cigarette butt or like some markings of somebody smoking on the ground. Yeah. Like that did not come from them. Like just unconsciously noting that and then it just registers as danger. Someone else is around here. And then that yeah. is almost that is a message from from the divine in a way because it's, you know. When you think about it like you got too much uh, you know, if you're if you're thinking about a lot of stuff in your conscious mind. Mm-hmm. You know, you're making all these plans, you're making sure not to fuck up, you got all these decisions you're making. It's like a more efficient way for danger to for for your mind to make for your brain to make your mind aware of danger. Right. Give uh, it to God. Let God tell you. Yeah. Just like have an open channel with him to let you know when it's around. Reroute it. Yeah. You know? And that way it becomes this sort of like unconscious but fast process. Right. God is just there to be like, hey, maybe you didn't notice those footprints, but they're there. Danger. Go the yeah. other way. Yeah. Don't overload like her decision making and planning. Which she has enough on her fucking plate to worry about. Right. Just cut out the middleman. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was very- It is. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't um, realize you're going to have to send me some of those studies. I'd be interested in looking at that. Yeah. One time, Sarah Bradford, the first biographer, mm-hmm. she witnessed firsthand Harriet having an episode of religious rapture. Do you want to read sure. the quote? When the turns of somnolence come upon Harriet, her spirit, as she calls it, goes away from her body and visits other scenes and places. And if she sees them afterwards, they are perfectly familiar to her, and she can f- her way about alone. Sounds she's, like remote viewing. Yeah, she's astral projecting, remote viewing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing that has been described by many other people. Yeah. Many other situations. Right. That certainly Around weren't- time. I doubt, I really don't think Hal Putoff was like, oh, I'll just do the Harriet Tubman bit. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I also- I was thinking about our tarot card too, the Seven of Wands. Yeah. It's this this guy up on the hill who's in this battle, right? And yeah. he's alone. Yeah. Like you I got wa- nowhere else to run. I wanna note Harriet's independence. 
you know? Yeah. And her strength within herself. Like she had a very strong internal locus of control. Mm -hmm. Like she was in charge of her destiny. She also boasted that she never lost a passenger. (laughs) She always found her way. She always evaded danger. And yes, like God was guiding her too. That's the name that she gave that guiding force is God. Yeah, it's fine. it's, It's a fine word. It was her. Who did it all. Yeah. Even if it was with his grace, it was her. Like, traveling 90 miles. That really impressed me. And also, that'd be really scary. Doing that all just, like, by yourself. Yeah. And um, if I got through that and made it to Philadelphia, I would believe myself (laughs) capable of anything. Yeah. And I would also think that God was on my side. Yeah. Like, I would have an unwavering belief that something out there believed in me and wanted me to succeed and thrive. I, it's always, it's funny. You see that same type of um, cockiness. Yeah. And like a lot of like spies and espionage people and like, right. like <laughs> it's a necessary thing, I think. Yeah. Well, be like a grizzled little shit talker. A lot know? of people who have had brushes with really terrifying things seem to end up having also a lot of courage. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which makes perfect sense. So, yeah. And also, I think that she she really needed that relationship with God in order to do what she did, because if you didn't have that courage, if you didn't have that belief that you were protected, that you were favored, that you were connected with the divine, then it would be a lot more challenging to have the bravery to do those things, you Uh, know, knowing that you have God on your side when you're alone. Yeah. I mean, honestly, faltering causes more fuck ups than anything. Yeah. In in anything in 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 life, second guessing, doubling back once you've made a decision, and, and faltering—that's where things fall apart. Right. <clears throat> so never question any bullshit idea you ever get. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one letter from this guy, Thomas Garrett. He's an abolitionist from Delaware who describes one of Harriet's most famous exploits as a conductor on the Underground Railroad. The time she led a small group to freedom when all of a sudden God told her, stop right where you are. Mm. So she did. She's like, "Okay, what now, God? God's like, leave the road now. Turn left. So she does. Mm. Turns left. She comes upon this stream of water. There's no boat, no bridge. Mm. She's like, "Okay, God, what now? Cross it. Mm. So it's March. It's cold, Mm -hmm. but Harriet trusts God and she crosses the water, which goes as high as her armpits. It's actually Mm. a lot deeper than it looks. And the group is not following her until they see her get to the other side. She's also tiny as fuck. She's she's (laughs) tiny. So it's probably it's not that deep. (laughs) It's up to my stomach. Yeah. (laughs) So once she gets across, they all go across the cold water and then. There's a second stream that they go across and then they find this cabin that belongs to a black family who lets them in, gives them dry clothing and shelter for the evening. As a thank you, Harriet leaves them some underpants. Hell yeah. That's nice. (laughs) Unfortunately, she does contract this really bad respiratory illness from the whole ordeal. Mm. But later on, it's discovered that this detour that God told her to take probably saved them from being caught because while they were hiding the 
master of the fugitives that she was helping had put reward posters all over the nearby train station that was on the road up ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, that was opportune. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, cross the, it'll stop your uh, scent from being tracked by the dogs. Mm. Yeah. That's true. Which That's another part of this era that I think about often, too, is like the idea of these packs of dogs. The fucking like, dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what in the... Another story is when Harriet was overcome with the feeling that something bad was going on with her brothers. Mm. Some evil over their heads. She just sensed it. Mm. It was time to get them. Because they didn't want to go, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess they were too scared. Yeah. Which makes, honestly... Yeah, because if you're caught, you're fucked. Yeah. Like, any one of us would, like... it's It's a coin flip, but, like, it's a weighted coin flip with most people would probably stay yeah honestly because if you get caught you're getting killed very brutally yeah Yeah. or at least tortured very brutally well with the help of a friend harriet writes this letter to a literate free black man in the area where her brothers lived (laughs) so he can take it to them read it to them and basically this letter says uh pack your shit i'm coming to get you (laughs) yeah so harriet arrives it's christmas eve and she finds her three brothers advertised on these posters, which is another thing. There's just posters all around advertising human beings. Yeah. 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 Uh, they're going to be sold on Christmas Day to the highest bidder. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Oh, my God. OK, that has to be the darkest scene I could possibly imagine. Yeah. The Christmas Day slave market. Yeah. That's so fucked up. It's so incredibly oh, fucked up. Oh my god, they probably had decorations up. <sighs> it's it's bad. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. And um, yeah, they're not being sold to another Maryland plantation either. Mm, yeah. No. They're getting sold to a chain gang Sick. further south. But um, yeah, when the guys come to retrieve the three brothers on Christmas Day to sell them. They're nowhere to be found. They disappeared, just like Jesus. Yep. Yeah, she got them just in the nick of time. Oh, that's sick. She felt that's it. crazy. And it happened. That's fucking nuts. So, like, you know, as for verifying the claim of, of her having these precognitive visions and sensations, how the fuck do you prove something like that? How are you going to prove a vision? You can't. No. No. But as for verification, we do have... The word of people that knew her. Yeah. The people that she had helped to freedom. Yeah. When interviewing former slaves in Canada in 1860, black novelist and historian William Wells Brown writes that they told him Moses had the charm. Mm-hmm. The whites can't catch Moses because you see, she's born with the charm. <laughs> the Lord has given Moses the power. She was Fuck, supernaturally yeah. charming. She was just like good at reading situations and reading people, what she needed to say and do in the scenario to get by. Yeah. She's a fucking magician, dude. Yeah. She's a bad motherfucker. Like, and often the black soldiers in the camps that Harriet visited during the Civil War, they would have died for her because they believed she had what they called a charmed life. Yeah, yeah. That God was looking out for her and she knew it. And- a lot of other people knew it, too, that God favored her. Yeah. I mean, he fucking killed someone for her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she prayed for it. And he struck that man down. A week and a day is all she had to do. 
Yeah. <laughs> so Thomas Garrett, the uh, Delaware abolitionist who told us the story about the river up to her armpits. Yeah. He speaks very highly of Harriet's relationship with God. Do you want to read that quote? Sure. In truth, I never met any person of any color who had more confidence in the voice of God as spoken directly to her soul. She has frequently told me that she talked with God, and he talked with her every day of her life, and she has declared to me that she felt no more fear of her former master, or any other person. She never ventured anywhere except where God sent her. Her faith in a supreme being was truly great. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so one thing that she relied on the supreme being for was money. She was also a financial wizard. Really? I mean, she got exactly the amount of money that she needed when she needed it. Mm. Like, oddly synchronistic. Yeah. Like, one time she approached Thomas Garrett and she's like, so, um, God tells me you've got some money for me. I'm going to try that trick. It's, I love that line. (laughs) And he responds, how much does thee want? (laughs) $23? 23 bucks. $23? Probably a lot back then. 23 bucks? This is probably a pretty fucking penny. Yeah. Um, well, this was the first time that Harriet had ever gone to Thomas Garrett for money. But oddly enough, the day before, he had received a donation by mail. Yeah. A donation for Harriet. Okay. From this woman, Eliza Wiggum of Scotland. And it was precisely the right amount. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so a year later, uh... <laughs> Harriet comes back and she's like, God says you got more money for me. Not as much as before, though, but you you got some money. Indeed, a few days prior, Thomas Garrett had indeed received a donation sent from Europe for Harriet. It's fucking wild. Yeah. Uh, on another occasion, Harriet supernaturally receives the information that now her parents need to get out. Yeah. It's time to rescue them. And she's like, Lord, where do I get the money to go get them and pull this off. And God tells her to go to the office of a certain gentleman, a friend of the slaves in New York. And I think like, what if this is John Murray's spirit? Yeah, what if it was? Like, what if? I really hope not because the guy in this story is kind of a dick to her. Well, uh, he was doing other shit at this point. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's playing with uh, circle houses. Yeah. Yeah. So when Harriet gets there, she's like, God tells me you have money for me, blah, blah, blah. And this dude is like, Well, I guess God was wrong. (laughs) But instead of leaving, she's like, nah, nah, nah. I'm just going to take a little nap right outside the office. (laughs) I'm just going to hang out right here. Yeah. Take a little nap in the building. She wakes up. She finds that a bunch of generous strangers have donated $60 to her. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Presumably because when she was asleep, maybe some people recognized her in the office. Oh, that's fucking. You know. Yeah. It's Moses. So yeah, she went on her way rejoicing. She's got 60 bucks and she's going to bring her parents back from the land of bondage, as Sarah Bradford puts it. So another time, Harriet needs a loan from her treasurer for exactly $7. Mm. And she's like, I'll repay you next Tuesday. I don't know how. Don't ask me how. But I'll have the money by next Tuesday. Lo and behold, the following Tuesday, this uh, her treasurer receives by mail a donation for Harriet for exactly yeah seven dollars. Shit. She just knows. She just knows. She just that. knows shit. Yeah. All right. Harriet Tubman's the coolest person in history, dude. Yeah, she's super. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> so one of the best known of Tubman's precognitive dreams is a recurring dream that she had 
that she first had preceding her first meeting with John Brown in Ontario of April 1858. Mm. John Brown was in awe of Harriet. He called her the general. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And he was really hoping to get her on board for, you know, his whole raid on Harper's Ferry that he'd been planning for several years. But yeah, yeah. she had this dream. Do you want to? Sure. Sequoia? Yeah. She thought she was in a wilderness sort of place, all full of rocks and bushes, when she saw a serpent raise its head among the rocks. And as it did so, it became the head of an old man with a long white beard, gazing at her, wistful-like, just as if he were going to speak to me. And then two other heads rose up beside him, younger than he. And as she stood looking at them and wondering what they could want with her, a great crowd of men rushed in and struck down the younger heads. And then the head of the old man, still looking at her so wishful. This dream she had again and again, and could not interpret it. But when she met Captain Brown, shortly after, behold, he was the very image of the head she had seen. But still she could not make out where her dream signified, till the news came to her of the tragedy of Harper's Ferry, and then she knew the other two heads were his two sons. Yeah. So, um, for those who don't know the story, John Brown had a plan to lead an army of volunteers to take over the armory in Harper's Ferry so that they could distribute the weapons to the local slaves and basically have this rise against the slave owners, deplete Virginia of its slaves, and shatter the entire economy throughout the South. And he did end up leading this crusade on October 16th, 1859, with the help of just 21 men, way fewer than ideal. Yeah. And uh, according to Thomas Sanborn... Harriet was in New York at the time of the raid, and she again had that feeling like something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. But she couldn't tell what. She thought for a while, and finally she realized it was Captain Brown in trouble, and that she should start to anticipate some bad news about the business. And, uh, yep, the next day the paper reported what had taken place. The group had been successful at capturing the armory, cutting off the telegraph communications, but yeah, the neighboring town found out about it and the militia was there waiting to take them out. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. Two of his sons were killed that day. And then two months later in December, John Brown was captured, tried, found guilty and executed by hanging. Yep. And Harriet. Seems like she she might have felt a little bad about what happened. She didn't like warn him. Yeah. Like, you know, because initially she was super enthusiastic about helping him recruit volunteers and she was meeting with him up until May of 1859. But then she kind of just ghosted him for summer and autumn leading up to the actual raid. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. It's not like he didn't have volunteers trying to locate her and contact her. She kind of just disappeared. Yeah. Was it her dream that kept her away? And if so, why didn't she warn him? I mean, she said that she didn't understand the meaning of it until after, but... Yeah, yeah. And also, given the type of man that John Brown was, do you think that he really would have cared about this dream? No. Taking it... Yeah, right. So... I think (sighs) Harriet just knew something was wrong, decided to keep it to herself. Maybe she knew somewhere inside of her that this whole raid was doomed to end in failure and just chose to keep out of it. Yeah. I mean, maybe she knew that telling John Brown about a dream warning wouldn't have stopped him. 
It would not have. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, that became a very well-known story. Mm-hmm. We, we learn about the raid of Harper's Ferry in school. Right. Probably because it was a white man with a long white beard. Yes. Did it, you know. Yeah, well, after uh, John Brown died, Harriet had, like, this religious devotion to him. Mm. She would, like, pray to him daily. No shit. Uh, She said, it was not a mere man who died at the gallows. It was God. God had died that day, too. He looks the part. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So, yeah, she continues to have a bunch of dreams, like... She dreams about the wreck of the steamer uh, City of Columbus that happened off of Martha's Vineyard. No shit. hundred people died. No shit. She has a dream about the San Narcisco earthquake that caused a bunch of deaths near the Venezuelan coastal capital of Caracas. Fucking A. She also has a dream about the unexpected death of her friend Fanny Seward, who is the daughter of Abe Lincoln's Secretary of State. Huh. So she's just having, you know, these... Yeah. These dreams left and right. I must get exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> it must. Yeah. Harriet's spiritual background. It was probably like a sort of a mix em up of a few different traditions and practices. The Brodises were Methodist, so she was forced to attend Methodist services. Right. But it's also speculated that she was probably influenced by a bunch of different churches, the black evangelical churches at the time. Baptist churches, Episcopal, some Catholic influence in there. Like she fasted on Fridays, which is yeah. mainly a Catholic practice. I mean, it sounds like she has a syncretic, you know, folk religion. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And she's also thought to have incorporated West African beliefs. Yeah. Like uh, one of her grandparents was brought on a slave ship from what is now Ghana. And as a child, she was told her heritage was Ashanti. One of the main ethnic groups whose empire ruled in that region for like 300 years. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Kind of so, uh, to go to. Yeah. Whatever her spiritual background was, her version of God was very personal to her. Yeah. I mean, it's like holy guardian angel shit. Yeah. Yeah. He was, as one biographer puts it, an approachable partner and unfailing support. Yeah. God was her name for the source of visionary guidance. And for most Christians at the time, the idea that God could speak back to you when you pray, it's a little right. far out there. You yeah. know, like you, it was normal to pray to God, but if God talks back, that's for some reason, that's only normal when it's the prophets in the Bible. That, yeah. That when happens to when the person's already dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even like Sarah Bradford, the historian and biographer, she was a little put off when Harriet would describe God speaking back to her. Yeah. Because it disagreed with Sarah Bradford's religious background. Yeah, yeah. But if you've listened to the podcast before, you also know that spiritualism was around at this time. Yes. And for spiritualists, the idea that otherworldly forces could talk to you, that's not that far out there. For sure. And also... P.P. Randolph was around. Ah. Yeah. That's like, I don't know when he was really doing his shit. He was born uh, in 1825, so he was like roughly the same age as as Harriet. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, died in 1875. Who is that for the listeners that don't know? Right. Uh, P.P. Randolph was a, uh, P.P. Randolph was a a free black man born in New York City. Um, He was a magician. He sort of, he was one of the very earliest uh, developers of the theories of sex magic. 
Mm. It was Rosicrucian. He, uh, their founder was just a member of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor. And he was a, a really important character in, uh, he was just like, he was a fucking adventurer. He went to England, Persia, he had huge interest in mysticism. Like he, he did the, Blavatsky and Crowley yeah. did his bit. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then he is said to have committed suicide, but he was most likely murdered. No shit. Yeah. At 49, But he, yeah, like at this time, like, yeah, if you think like he was the right way to think about this context is he was a magician. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. In the Western esoteric tradition, even like the, the earliest parts of it. Uh, and I wonder if any of his ideas made his way to Harriet Tubman. I have to imagine so. I wonder. I also don't know what time he was writing his books and stuff. Like he's he's a future episode, not a. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, if you've listened to our episode on John Murray Spear or even our episodes on the Oneida community, Forks. you'll know that. Spiritualism, kooky beliefs were very prominent at this time. And also, a lot of abolitionists were spiritualists. Yeah. Like, a lot of them. So it makes even more sense that, like, you know, Harriet was so positively accepted by these circles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she's a fucking hero, too. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting that we don't have, I don't know. She wasn't going to parties and shit. Right. Yeah. It's working. That's true. Yeah. That there's not she too many a, spiritualist perspectives like written on her. He was a busy lady. So um, after Bradford, there's this other guy, Earl Conrad. He writes a biography on Harriet and he completely shrinks mm. the spiritual and supernatural parts of the story. He was yet another one of those people that could not reconcile his version of her as a great American hero and revolutionary with what he thought was nonsense. Right. This guy, Conrad, Earl Conrad, Marxist materialist. There there it is. Totally materialist. In the 1930s, he was researching Harriet's life. And in researching for this biography, he was writing to psychiatric hospitals about, you know, why was she having these experiences that... Narcolepsy, the hallucination, speaking to God. What do you think about that, hospitals? Yeah. And it's like, think about- What was wrong with Harriet Tubman? Think about what psychiatric (laughs) hospitals were like in the 30s. Yeah, right. You know? Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, the physicians responded that, well, it's uh, due to her traumatic experiences as a slave. She had head injuries and she probably had hysteria. Mm. I would love to do an episode Mm -hmm. on hysteria. And honestly, these- Doctors probably weren't wrong. Like, probably some of this, it does have to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, with her background, her head injuries. Sure. Hysteria, that's a barrel of monkeys. Is... Yeah. But, you know, they're not wrong, but they're not right either. So, Conrad, he goes through this whole trouble of contacting the physicians, but ultimately just decides to scrap the entire subject entirely from his 1934 biography. Jesus. And, uh, a daughter of one of Harriet Tubman's nieces, a woman named Alice Brickler. Yeah. She writes a response. <clears throat> she writes a response to his exclusion of the information. She says, actually, do you want to read it? It's a sure. little paragraph. I may be wrong, but I believe that every age, every country and every race, especially during the darkest history, has had its unusual souls who are in touch with some mysterious central originating force, a comprehensive stupendous unity for which we have no adequate name. Aunt Harriet was one of those unusual souls. Her religion, her dreams, her visions were so bond together that nobody, and I certainly should not attempt it, could separate them. 
Well fucking said, Alan. Yeah. Yeah. Hard agree. And she goes on to say that it was her dreams which often saved her life. Yeah. It was her superhuman courage and beliefs which gave her the power to accomplish what she had undertaken. And you know what Conrad said in response to that? He said, <laughs> God <laughs> is a piece of heavy artillery employed by the rich to keep the poor content, satisfied, unrebellious, and unmoving. See, I mean, as, as much as I'm softened up to Marxism, this is my problem right there. <laughs> That's a personal like, problem with Conrad. Like he has such a bleak view of God. No, I mean, but that's like the that's that's the Karl Marx view of God that it's a product of mm-hmm. the opiate of the masses. Yeah, you know, and it certainly can be utilized as such. But also, I would say that God is heavy artillery for sure. <laughs> yeah, fucking killed a man, didn't he? <laughs> right. No, but like, but yeah, and like, so and it can be you like that's the, I mean that's the fucking thing like. The spooky can be used. It's a tool. Mm-hmm. It's heavy artillery, and that's a powerful thing to invoke. It amongst people that have a conception of God, it strengthens your argument for sure. But like amongst know, people that have a different conception of God, sure. it weakens your argument yeah, a lot. That's true. And I think that that was his, Conrad's concern. Yeah, he thought that if he included the whole God part in the story, that he was somehow diminishing Harriet's achievements, and that. It, he wouldn't be writing a biography about her if he included that. It would just be a biography about the supreme being or whatever, you know. He thought that by bringing it up, he was somehow crediting her achievements to this god, which is not accurate. By changing the story, you're um, you're saying that you know better than she did. Right. That ain't cool. Yeah. So, like... Setting aside the issue of who or what Harriet was talking to, whether it was God or what. Doesn't matter. The fact was, these internal dialogues took place, and the way that she framed them in her mind was integral to the choices that she made and her life story. Yeah. So whoever that was she was talking to, if it was just herself, it was if it was her holy guardian angel. Yeah. Who knows? Whatever it was, it was important, and that's her narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Alice Brickler, her niece. Yeah. She has a hilarious story about a time that her aunt Harriet uh, scared her. Hell yeah. That I just I just want to share now. Hell yeah. Aunt Harriet and mother were talking as they sat in the yard. Tiring of their conversations, I wandered off in the tall grasses to pick wildflowers. Suddenly I became aware of something moving toward me through the grass. So smoothly did it glide with so little noise. I was frightened. Then reason conquered fear and I knew it was Aunt Harriet, flat on her stomach, with only the use of her arms and serpentine movements of her body, gliding smoothly along. Mother helped her back to her chair and they laughed. Aunt Harriet told me that was the way she had gone by many a sentinel during the war. So she's wow. just slithering along in the grass. She's doing fucking the solid snake thing. Yeah. Metal Gear Harriet. Holy shit. Yeah. That's fucking sick. So now I want to get more into a discussion about the cause of her visions. Like, let's get more into that. Well, like we mentioned earlier, the later biographer, Larson, in her book, Bound for the Promised Land, attributes Harriet's experiences to temporal lobe epilepsy, which... Symptoms include powerful religious visions, Mm -hmm. 
uh, switch between being hyperactive and really tired, mm-hmm. out of body experiences, trance states. She definitely could have had it. Sure. Yeah. I I know some people with epilepsy, and they know some weird shit sometimes. Yeah. Does that make what she saw in her visions any less real? No. Yeah. Also, there has been some academic research done on precognition that supports that it it can exist. Yeah. I mean, heck, our entire Psychic Spy series. Yeah. Joe McGonagall, he had that inner voice guiding him from danger during his time in Vietnam. Yes. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's not... They'll, they'll take umbrage with the fact that we said academic. Uh, fuck it. There has been. There's been studies. Um, but, like, also, anecdotally, uh, fucking grandma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Direct conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and weird shit happened. Yeah. Like money, exact amounts of money at the last possible second in the most random ways. Mm-hmm. Shit like that. Like, she describes it as conversing. Right. You know? I also think that, like, I mean, maybe you listening right now, you might have had a precognitive dream yourself where you dream something and then later you've thought, oh, shit, I've been here. Like, I know this person. I recognize this place. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't, talk to the people you know. I'm sure one, two, maybe three. Absolutely. Have had one. It's actually surprisingly common. Mm -hmm. Uh, But unfortunately... How do you scientifically study people's dreams? Because it's all kind of like based on self-reporting, right? You can't like right. go into someone's mind and record a dream. You're really trusting on their interpretation of their dream states. Yeah. How do you measure dreams? In terms of things you... that are purely subjective, it is impossible to peer review them. Right. So you know what I mean? Like you're not going to please a skeptic on this. You can't. It's, it's, yeah. So I'm it's not impossible. even going to try. It's it, just it's a weird thing that happens. Yeah. And I'm inclined to buy it because, I don't know, weird shit happens. Weird shit happens. And yeah, uh, onto the subject of the relationship between trauma. Well, I would also say that, like, if you if you want to be a hard-ass materialist about it. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the ways, which I'm not, uh, but, like, I always try to look for that mechanistic explanation. It could be, again, the subconscious processing shit like you could might just be modeling mm-hmm. predictions of the future and you might just be right yeah because sometimes you can just predict the future by looking at what pieces are moving and shit like that right and perhaps the unbound power of the subconscious is just a more powerful computer and it's yeah. easier to compress that information into symbols and shit and uh, humans are very yeah. pattern seeking yeah and patterns exist yeah patterns of behavior patterns of cycles exist yeah absolutely yeah so if you're attuned to patterns and cycles and you're registering those things, then it makes sense that you could also accurately predict things. Yeah. It's also not too hard for me to believe that maybe having her skull cracked open did help unlock some sort of abilities or difference in her brain structure. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't mean go injuring yourself for superpowers or psychic powers. No. But there is kind of this thing. That happens where there's a lot of psychics who attribute their powers to things like a head injury. Yep. Or like they got into a, a car accident and all of a sudden they had these... Heart attack psych- and near-death experience. Yeah. Or a transplant. Lightning strikes. Yeah. Fevers. Yep. Psychological trauma. Yep. You know, these things will change the way a person's brain works. Yes. In uh, like, I'm, I'm almost done bringing it up because I've finished it at this point. But in uh, Lavenda's Sinister Forces... 
hell of an argument about, you know, the the initiatory experience mm-hmm. is of being subjected to a state of helplessness, yeah. of, of submission and trauma, essentially, and then reconstituting yourself, which would also, I believe, be like, yeah, it's the, it's the, and also the alchemy of like, take a thing, you break it down, you rebuild it stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is like very easy for someone in her position to be subjected to a technically initiatory experience, if that, you know, hypothesis is correct. Also, like one thing that the Monroe Institute did is helping people to have these out-of-body experiences where if you have experienced trauma and you've gone through a lot of things that are unpleasant, one way that people just naturally deal with that is to go out of body. Yeah. And when you do that again and again and keep experiencing repeated trauma... That disassociation just becomes second nature. Therefore, like all of these out of body flights to freedom that she experienced really not that difficult to make sense of. Like it's like what remote viewers were trained to do, except she was just trained to do it because as a survival survival. mechanism. Yeah. 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 Did you read um, uh, Paris write up about his uh, holotropic breathing experience? No, not yet. I'm going to breathe all funny one day. I want to try it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, it's really, really interesting. I recommend it. And yeah, like we mentioned earlier, staying awake for a long time, seeing weird stuff. Yeah. You know, like these hypnagogic states that she was effectively programmed to be able to power through these sort of like liminal dreamlike waking states, something that definitely helped her while making journeys by nightfall and receiving messages probably is being in that sort of semi-trance state. Yeah. And it's all, again, it's like, you'll find, that's also more magician training. Stay awake for a really long fucking time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, whether the cause is neurological or psychological, trauma-induced, divinely ordained, all of these things, it's, it's all, it's all part of Harriet's story, right? Yeah. All of these exactly. events, no matter what the, the who or what. Yeah. Well, I mean, all that trauma-induced, psychological, neurological, those are components. It's all components of Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a big story. Yeah. And it's one that I I just brushed on in this podcast. Right. Because her story is big. Yeah. And we wanted to do it about the psychic part. And, you know, she's not just Harriet the psychic or Harriet the spy, the activist, the hero. She's she's really all of these things combined that I had no idea about. Right. Harriet, the the prankster who crawls in the grass to spook her out. <laughs> like goddamn solid snake. <laughs> yeah. Who crawls in the grass to scare her niece, you know, or Harriet, the charmer who flirts with the men on the bridge, you know, like that. These are just versions of her that I did Up not. Up the river burning plantations. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Setting things ablaze. Yes. What a hard ass. Right. She's the coolest person in history. I swear to God, like, it's so fucking, that's ridiculously cool. Harriet Tubman is ridiculously cool. The Seven of Wands really could not be more perfect either. It really couldn't. That's a good one. Because it is this person that is standing strong by themselves fighting. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, we're kind of talking about before we started recording, but like this idea of like, like the buck stops here. This is as bad as it could get. It does not matter. Like, I'm going down fighting. I'm yeah. not, like, it doesn't seem yeah. like she understood. And wands are like, that's fiery energy too. Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's action. And she fucking did. Yeah. Going down in a blaze of glory. Yeah. And she didn't go down in a blaze of glory. How did she die? 
I don't know. Shit. <laughs> it wasn't relevant to my research. <laughs> Such is the curse of the podcaster. Yeah. No, but the seven of wands, it's like obviously a risk taker. It's a risk. I mean, it's, you know, the dark side is like of, of the seven of wands is a lost cause. Right. Right. Yeah. But I think the light side of it is like being willing to defend a cause that other people might think like that others might think is lost. That mm-hmm. should by all rights be lost. If you think about the uh, progression there, the eight of wands has the help coming in. Right. Unexpectedly. And then the nine of wands is uh, fucking the the unexpected victory. Uh, you're still you're still there. Holy shit. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fuck tight as hell. And also like her being surrounded too. Right. Alone. Like. Yeah. Because the seven of wands is like one man against. Yeah. A bunch. Yeah. Like. Got a little more Harriet Tubman in you. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. I can learn a lot from her. Like this week, whenever I was like, I don't want to vacuum. I'm like. <laughs> What would Harriet Tubman do? Yeah. She'd burn this place to the fucking ground. I know. It's <laughs> like, really, bitch? You can't vacuum? You can't find it within yourself? You want to change the world, but you can't do a dish? <laughs> it's not. That's not how it works. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Fucking A. Hell I yeah. I don't do her for this one. Yeah. Hell yeah, Harriet Tubman. Fuck yeah. That was really cool. You want to close this out? Close this out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can find us on all the social media bullshit. You'll do it. I believe in you. Yep. We're on Instagram. Yeah. We're on Twitter. Yeah. We uh, have a Facebook. Don't even mention it. Who cares? Let it die. Yeah. Fuck Facebook. No, just let it die. Yeah. Just. If you like what we do here and you want to support the show, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the nonsense bazaar. $5 a month. No more. No less. We do a bonus episode. Yeah. We, we do, do a, a bonus bi- show. Yeah. We do a bi-weekly bonus show. Getting to behind the research. Sometimes it's more personal. Sometimes it's just bullshitting. Um, and it's really fun. We do that every other week. And uh, yeah, you can get access to that and all the ones we've done so far on our Patreon. $5 a month. And we really appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening, for, uh, for being cool. And take care of yourselves out there. Take care. Peace out. Peace. Peace.